awesome. Thank you, Beth. Well, good morning. Um, before Eric comes up to share this morning, um, I just wanted to take a couple of moments to, um, yeah, to talk about this. Perfect. Right on cue. Thank you, Luke. Um, just to share about last uh, Sunday, um, for those who either weren't here or didn't, didn't hear, um, the Simpsons and us separately at our homes up in um, uh, Eldersburg, Woodbine area, um, decided to run little outdoor Easter services uh, in our neighborhoods. And this is a picture from The Simpsons. And if you were here, I'm sure you remember because um, there were prayers offered from here for those times, and we're very thankful for those and um, for the support um, of everyone. And I just wanted to kind of give you a little sort of little update on, on how things went, what those times were like, and a little encouragement, um, I hope, as well. There were really encouraging times. We had, between the two places, we had, I think it was 11 families come and join us um, from, our, you know, from our neighborhoods from around us. And um, they were really, those times were really a blessing. That was the idea. That was the, the goal was to be a blessing to our neighbors, to share the Easter story with them, um, to share the gospel with them. Um, and um, they were quite similar times. Um, we both, as it happens, not by plan, but we both read um, the Easter story, the Easter account from John's gospel, um, and uh, shared, uh, Eric and I shared respectively a little on that and on how Easter is a central um, core part of the gospel message and how Jesus passing into death and then into life is, um, is, is our, it's our way to pass from death into life. And uh, it was really neat to see our neighbors come and join us and enjoy those times. Um, and um, I just wanted to thank you. I, could, I, I, I already did once, but I'll thank you again. Why not? Um, for praying for those times. Um, they were a blessing to the people who came to join us, and they were a blessing to us as well. It was really enjoyable to us as a family to be able to share with our neighbors um, in that way, and we hope to do a lot more of that um, in the future. Um, some of those folks, we have some community group times coming up. We have some small group times coming up, and some of those folks hopefully will be joining us in those times. And uh, if you think to, then I would invite you to keep praying. Um, we are here as a church, as a body, because God has called us, and he has done an amazing thing for us, and we've responded to what he has done for us, and it's brought transformation in our lives. And that's really what we desire for those around us as well, right? That's the essence of sharing the gospel. It's not a project. It's not a, um, a sort of a, um, a numbers game or anything like that. It is just a desire for us to share the goodness of what God has done for us with those around us and to see hopefully that same transformation come about in their lives also. And I just wanted to, to um, take a moment of, um, to encourage you as well um, to start thinking a little bit for yourselves as well. This was not our idea, right? We, we unashamedly stole this idea. <laughs> Eric's nodding, like he, right? We, this is something that Tom Short mentioned in his Faith Walkers message over um, the Christmas New Year time frame that he had done this last year. And we both heard this and thought, that's a really good idea. I can't believe we didn't think of something that was so, you know, so like, simple and it's such a good idea. We should do that this year. So we stole the idea. Eric actually got in touch with Tom and just asked him a couple of questions about how things had gone and what, you know, how he had run his time and what had gone well and, and, and not. Um, and so I just want to encourage you, if you have ideas 
of ways to bless those around you. It doesn't have to be, you know, this was a particular opportunity, a, you know, Easter is a specific celebration, and it's the real kind of linchpin of the gospel. Um, but it doesn't have to be focused around Easter or Christmas. If you hear ideas of how uh, other folks um, have been able to bless and encourage their neighbors, or you just actually have ideas of yourselves, unlike us, then feel free to act on them or to ask others about them. If you're not sure, like, oh, is this something I should do? Is this something I can do? What if it doesn't go very well? Well, go and go talk to your life group leader or someone in your life group. Come talk to one of the pastors. Come and get some, some, um, some encouragement, some counsel, um, and, and, you know, we would love to talk and pray um, through with you what, is a, what, what are some good ideas, what are some things that we can be doing to reach out and to bless our neighbors and hopefully to see their lives transformed for the better in Christ just as ours have been. That's really what we desire for them. Um, that's all I wanted to share. If you want to know, any, you know sort of in, in a bit more detail about how any of those times went, then please feel free to come and ask Marie or I or Eric or Nicole. We'll be around today. Um, but if you would just maybe take a moment and bow with me in prayer, let's, let's, um, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are good. And we thank you that we come together today to meet in your name, um, not because of our own um, achievements or abilities or anything like that, but simply because you have called us, you have spoken to us, and we have responded to what you have done for us by sending Jesus to the cross and by him rising and leaving the empty tomb. And we thank you that you have been a blessing to our lives greater than anything that we could imagine, and certainly anything more that we could do than we could do for ourselves. And we pray that you would um, encourage us, lead us, guide us, help us, as we seek to see that same wonderful transformation happen in the lives of those around us. We pray that you would help us to see how you're working in people's lives, to see how you're moving in our neighborhoods and our communities, that you would give us your eyes to see the people around us and that we would be able to join with you in, um, in ministering to them, in encouraging them, in sharing your truth with them and seeing people pass from death into life. Lord Jesus, we thank you for what you've done for each of us and we pray that you would make us uh, unashamed, unafraid, not embarrassed, to be, able to, to be willing to put ourselves out in front of people, to state, to share clearly what it is that we believe, to share what it is that you have done for us. And we pray that as you work through us, that we would see fruit, that we would see lives changed. And we thank you for what you are going to do. We trust you. Lord, we just want to follow you, to follow the path that you set in front of us. We, help, we pray that you would help us to find that path, and to walk it truthfully and faithfully. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thanks, brother. Well, good morning, everyone. Um, for the, uh, the first 10 years of uh, my professional uh, work life, I spent them uh, with a construction company uh, as, a, as a project manager. Some of you probably already know that about me. Um, and one of the things I really loved most about being in the line of construction and being on the job site and seeing the project uh, from start to finish was you got to kind of be a part of seeing something go from just an idea and information on paper 
to being part of actually making it come to life and to turn into something real and, and tangible. Like not just an idea anymore, but something new, right? And on, as you may be familiar, like on most uh, projects for buildings or whatever it may be, that there's, there's this um, architect who is like the designer in charge of how the project is going to go. And the architect fills this very important role of the designer. And having a, a complete and an accurate design is just so important to the success of any construction project. Like the architect's role is to make sure there's proper dimensions and layouts for how things are supposed to go together and that, that the right like building materials are selected so that the building lasts for a long time, right? It's a very important role when it comes to a building. And then the construction team comes along, and the construction team, which I was a part of, like we needed to follow the plan and the design of the architect, right? And when, and when we did that, when construction teams do that, then things turn out great. But when they don't do that, problems come up. Like this picture of the bridge, just not quite lining up when they got to the middle, right? So think about what is it for you in your life? What is your profession or, or your craft that you spend a lot of time focusing on? Like, is it, is it music, maybe? Or graphic design? Is it education or science? Is it farming? So how does this idea of design apply to your profession or your craft? Like, if you think about it, that whatever that is, there's a way that it's supposed to work, Right? Like, there's these invisible laws that kind of govern what you're doing uh, in those things. And when, and when you follow them correctly, things go well. And then when you get away from how things were designed, it goes wrong. And so I think we could probably come up with examples from pretty much every domain of life about how important design is and how important it is to follow that design if we want the right outcome. Like, we know this intuitively. We probably all experience this in our own lives. So why is it then when God comes along and says, I've designed a certain thing this way, and I want you to follow my design in this thing, that we can sometimes find ourselves pushing back on that and saying, oh, okay, I, I hear you, God, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go this way. I'm not going to walk in how you've designed things to be. I'm going to make my own decision, and I'm going to go this way. And when we tend to do that, we can put ourselves in a bad spot in our lives. There's a verse in Proverbs 14 that would say it like this. It says that there is a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way to death. Pretty straightforward verse, isn't it? So back to my construction example. Like when you're, when you're building something and there's a structure involved, like there is a structural engineer that says, okay, here's the design for the concrete, right? You need this much water, you need this much stone, you need this much cement to make it all work and to support the weight of the building. This is how I've designed this to work. So if the guys then that are coming along to actually mix and pour the concrete, if they come along and they say, well, I mean, okay, I see that, but I think I want to add just a little bit more water than you wanted. A little less cement, a little less stone, a little more water, right? There's a way that may seem right to them, but in the end, in a very real way, can lead to death. Right? The structure can collapse. And so just like there's a design for how concrete is supposed to work, the same is true for my life and for your life. Like there is a way that our God has designed things to work. And when we walk in his ways, we get to go down the path of life 
And when we get off track, we start to go down towards the path of death. And so with this thought in mind, this idea of of design and good design, today we begin a new series on biblical manhood and womanhood that we've titled God's Good Design. And so really the, excuse me, the heart of this series is to take a look and see what the Bible says about, about how God has created us as men and women and then how sin seeks to come in and, and pull us away from that good and right design, but that as followers of Jesus, redeemed by the cross, we can begin to more fully come back to and walk in that original design that God had for us. And so here's a brief outline of how we're going to spend the next eight weeks where we're headed. Uh, today we're actually going to start by looking at uh, God as the creator and man as the created. And then we're going to spend uh, three weeks on manhood. We're going to look at man's purpose, man's hurdles, and man's redemption, followed up by three weeks on womanhood, following the same rhythm, women's purpose, women's hurdles, and women's redemption. Then the last week is going to kind of be a a wrap-up week where we we take a look at, as redeemed men and women, how can we partner together on mission for the spread of the gospel and what we've just called simply together for the gospel. And so I hope this sounds <clears throat> exciting to you. Um, this has actually been a while in the making uh, with the pastors and, and the teaching team. We, we actually had uh, planned to do this series last spring, uh, but as many things, uh, other things were kind of put on hold uh, last year. Uh, it didn't seem like the right time, so we kind of kicked it to uh, this year. So we, we are ready uh, to cover uh, this material um, together and these topics together. Um, so I hope you are excited about that as well. Um, but maybe, maybe you're wondering, like, of all the things that we could cover on a Sunday morning, why would we pick this right now? Right? And, like, that's, that's a fair and good question that, to ask, and you should always ask that of us. And, and as I've thought about this, this question, right, I, I feel like God's been kind of showing me that th- there's a need for it now on, on three different levels. Like, there's a need for this now for us as believers There's a need for this now for the sake of the world, and there's a need for this now for the glory of God. If you think about it, for for us as believers, right, like it's always good, it's always a good time for us to be challenged by truth and to be reminded of truth and maybe to to recalibrate a little bit where we're walking down the wrong path in our lives and make sure that we're actually believing and obeying what Scripture says about a given area. And I feel like Satan loves to pull us away from God's design, doesn't he? Like he wants to take the focus off of that to get us off track and to make war against us in some of these areas. And so we need to be reminded of and recalibrated about where God is pointing to truth in these areas so that we can fight back and seek to live as God wants us to live. And then for the sake of the world, I don't think we've got to spend a lot of time uh, this morning trying to convince you or even you know, show you the headlines about how the once seemingly agreed to good and right definitions of men and women and the differences are no longer viewed that way in our society, right? We're all fully aware of that slippery slope and how that's kind of weaving itself into our society. But one of the ones that we hear most about, it seems like right now, is this, this disintegration of, of manhood in our culture, 
especially men of power and influence, like celebrities and athletes and politicians are just in the headlines twisting what it means to be a man in their role of influence and power. And even non-believers are seeing what's happening, and they're pointing to that, and they're saying, that's not right. Something is off about the way that manhood is on display. The Washington Post had a uh, column recently in the sports section in which the author titled it, Our Sports Need a Healthier Version of Masculinity. And the opening lines of the column say, with appalling regularity, our most disregarded sin keeps resurfacing in sports, men mistreating women. And so even the world sees what's happening, sees that it's wrong, and sees the damage caused when sinful men walk outside of their God-given design and purpose, and they're saying that's wrong. They, they even see that. But they're also coming up with their own answers and their own definitions to, to try to justify and to, and to change the narrative of what that should look like. And so we have a huge opportunity as redeemed men and women seeking our best, striving forward by the grace of the cross to live as biblical men and women. The world is looking for answers, and they're going to find it one way or another. What an opportunity we have to point to truth with our words and with our lives to a watching world. And then lastly, for, for the glory of God. Right? Ultimately, all that we do, the reason why we're here, the reason why we exist is for the glory of God, right? And so as I've been thinking about this, I've kind of been, you know, to stay along with my construction analogy, been, been picturing God as like the architect at the grand opening of the building, right? Like there was lots of people involved in what happening, but really the, the, the glory of what happens a lot of times points back to the designer, points back to the architect. So as we're able to live more and more like godly, biblical men and women, we're able to point beyond ourselves and in that goodness, point towards God and give him the glory in those things. And so I'm so excited about this series for our good, for our opportunity in the world, and to give God the glory in these things. So that's the end of the intro for uh, the series, and we're going to kind of just transition into uh, the first uh, area that we're going to cover in this series about the creator and the created, about God as the creator and mankind as uh, the created being. And so kind of my Outline for this morning to put all the cards on the table for you guys early is we got four points that we're going to cover. The first being that um, authority comes from the author. And the second, that as created beings, we are subject to this authority. But that in that authority, in our subjection to that authority, we can know and trust that God is good. And then lastly, we're going to take a look briefly at what it means and the implications of us being created in the image of God as men and women. So we're going to start at the beginning, okay? Uh, from the very first words of the Bible, in Genesis 1-1, we read this. In the beginning, God created. It's five words, right? But these five words are packed with meaning and significance and importance for us. So let's kind of just take a look at each one of those phrases. In the beginning, So before this moment that's recorded for us on the first pages of Scripture, before this event that's about to happen was God. Like, Stop and think about that for a minute and how important that is. That before anything, before there was time, before anything was created, 
God existed. The triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit existed. I mean, that's kind of hard for our small human brains to comprehend sometimes, isn't it? But it's, but it's true. There's no beginning to God. There's no end to God. He has always existed. He will always exist. Our God is eternal, everlasting. And in the beginning, God what? God created. From nothing, God creates everything. So who, who learned, by show of hands, who learned this past year how to make sourdough bread? Really? That was like the thing to do. There we go. We got one. Okay, that was like the thing to do last year. You got go home and start making sourdough bread. You're missing out. All right, jeez. Um, in our home, Nicole learned how to make sourdough bread, and it's fantastic. And she makes it from scratch, right? Which means that she's not going to the store, to the bakery, and buying the loaf of bread, but she's taking the ingredients and she's combining them together and forming something new and delicious and spectacular. But even in doing this, she still has to get the ingredients from somewhere right? But when God creates, he even creates the ingredients that he uses for something new. He creates everything in the universe, the heavens and the earth, the countless creatures in the sky and on the earth and in the sea, the visible, the invisible laws of nature like gravity and thermodynamics. He creates all of it from nothing. And so we see from the very first words of Scripture that God is, he's, he's outside of his creation. Like he is outside of the bounds and the limitations that he imposes and places on his creation. All of his creation is subject to him. He's the designer. He is the author of it all. And as the author of all creation, this means that he has all authority over his creation, doesn't it? R.C. Sproul would say it like this, the very word authority has within it the word author. An author is someone who creates and possesses a particular work. Insofar as God is the foundation of all authority, he exercises that foundation because he is the author and the owner of his creation. I love that. So God has created, he has authored, he has written into his creation how his creation is to work. A couple more verses about God as our creator. In in Nehemiah uh, 6, he says, You alone are the Lord. You have made the heavens, the heaven of heavens, and all their hosts, the earth and all that is in it, the sea and all that is in them. You give life to all of them, and the heavenly host bows down before you. Isaiah 45, For thus says the Lord who created the heavens, I am the Lord, and there is none else. Isaiah 66, for my hand made all of these things, thus all of these things came into being, declares the Lord. And then Revelation 4, worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive honor and glory and power. For you created all things, and because of your will, they existed and were created. And so we see from these verses and others like it that the the attributes of creator and of authority belong to who? They belong to God alone. And as you can tell, he's not shy about reminding us about this, is he? It's his alone. So by by way of contrast, you and I don't come close to having this level of authority over creation. We don't come close. 
Short, in Genesis 1, we know that we rule over and we have dominion over creation as God's representatives on earth. But this is a, this is a delegated authority. This is a delegated rule and reign that he's decided to give us. We have a limited capacity in which we can operate in our rule and reign over creation. Like if there's something that we don't like about how God has wired the universe or created something to be, we can't change that, right? And not only can we not change it, but we are subject to it. Like think about time and gravity, right? Two examples. We're all subject to gravity, right? Well, so, so the sourdough thing didn't work out too well. Let's play another game. Let's play the superpower game. If you could have one superpower, what would it be? Flying. What else? Okay. Thank you, Joe. Any kids? Superpowers? Yeah. Okay. Okay. There you go. Time travel. Very good. Okay. So for me, it's flying. Whoever said flying first, that, that's my superpower that I want too. Like just be able to fly anywhere you wanted to and not have to get in an airplane or a helicopter. Like how cool would that be, right? But as much as I want that to happen and would take that superpower, it's never going to happen, right? And like no one would argue that stepping out of an airplane without a parachute has any more than one possibility for how that ends, right? Gravity wins every time. We are all subject to gravity. But yet, in Acts 1, Jesus ascends off the face of the earth and goes up into the clouds. Well, how is that possible? Because even gravity is subject to his authority, right? Or think about time. Like, we are all subject to time. Like, who, we all want more time, right? But if we're, if we're running late or we've got a lot to do in a given day and, and we're just we're trying to fit it all in, like, we can't stop the passing of time. We can't call a time out like Zach Morris from uh, Saved by the Bell, right? That was a TV show. Zach used to be able to have time out. We can't, we can't do that. But you know who can? God can. Did you know that in Joshua 10, it tells us that God stops the rotation of the earth. And it says that the sun stood still and the moon stopped in response to a prayer from Joshua to God. Time and the rotation of the planets are subject to his authority. But you and I can't do anything about that, can we? We are constrained by time. We are constrained by gravity. But the creator, God, rules over all of it and it does whatever he says. The Bible is full of these examples, right, of God exercising his authority over creation. He parts the Red Sea. Jesus walks on the water. Jesus calms the storm. The resurrection, all examples of God's power and authority over his creation. As creator, God alone has this authority. Even the wind and the waves and time and gravity obey him. And so as part of his creation, we then as created beings are subject to this authority. We're subject to how he has created things to be. And so here's a couple of verses about like the picture that we begin to see in scripture comparing us as the creation and God as, as the creator as men and women. And Genesis 2 says this, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And he became a living creature. We were made from dust. In Isaiah and other places in the Old Testament, we start to see this picture of us as the clay and God as the potter, right? Isaiah 64 says, Yet you, O Lord, are our Father. We are the clay and you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. 
or Isaiah 29, shall what is formed say to, who, say to the one who formed it, you did not make me. Can the pot say to the potter, you know nothing? And then in Romans 9, pointing back to and referencing this imagery of the Old Testament, Paul says this, or writes this, but, you, but who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Well, what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? So whether we like it or not, we are all a lump of clay in the hands of a masterful potter. And we are subject to however he wants to shape and mold us and design things to work. We are subject to his authority over those things. Who are we to say to God, why did you create it this way? He is the potter and we are the clay. And so if that's the case, then isn't it also true that this is a very vulnerable position for us to be in? isn't it? Like, here we are, this lump of clay in the hands of the most powerful force in the universe. Like, what's he going to do with us, right? Like, how do we know that the way that, the way that God creates, the way that he designs, the way that he wires things to be, how do we know that those are good and beautiful and not cruel and oppressive? Like, how do we know he's not going to look to just smack us down at every turn because we're just a lump of clay, right? Oh, The Bible is full of evidence of the goodness of God. My life is full of the evidence of the glory of God. Your life is full of the evidence of the goodness of God. Like, what's the rhythm of Genesis 1, right? Like, God creates, then he looks at his creation, he says what? It is is good. It's good. So creation being good is a reflection of God's character. The fact that he create things good and beautiful shows that he himself is good and beautiful. And we, we do see this. We see this in goodness all over scripture. But here are a few from the Psalms that just really stood out to me. Psalm 33 says that he loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. And one of my favorites, Psalm 34, 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. And in Psalm 100, for the Lord is good, his loving kindness is everlasting, and his faithfulness to all generations. The creator has all authority, and the creator is good. This is a a fundamental, a foundational truth that is just so important for us to embrace because it impacts every area of our lives. So when God says, this is how I've designed money to work, do we trust that he is good? When God says, this is how I've designed relationships and marriage to work, do we trust that he is good? And when we're going through the dark night of the soul and God reminds us in Romans 8 that for those who love him, all things work together for their good, do we trust that even in our hardest moments that God is good? And so when God then comes along and says, This is how I've designed genders. This is how I've designed manhood and womanhood. This is what it means to be a man. This is what it means to be a woman. Do we trust that he is good in every area of our lives, and especially where we are headed with this series? This is a bedrock truth that we must believe and just let infiltrate our lives. But but maybe you don't this morning. Like, maybe you don't see the evidence of this in your life. Maybe you just don't trust that God is good. 
Well, the invitation for you this morning then is to ask him to show you his goodness. Search the scriptures, seek it out, and he will meet you with his goodness. The most powerful force in the universe is in his essence, in the core nature of who he is. He is good, and he is beautiful, and he is right in all that he does, and that overflows into his creation. And this is so important for us to believe. And and out of this goodness, out of the overflow of who he is, he creates man and woman. And so we see in Genesis 1, 26 to 27, that we are created out of God's goodness in his image. And it says this, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created them, male and female he created them. So so what does this mean to be created in the image of God? What does it mean to bear the image of God? Well, again, this is another profound and far-reaching truth that really just has tons of implications for our lives, like way beyond what we've got time to um, talk about this morning. Uh, But for sure, it impacts the purposes and the applications for what we're going to be looking at in this series. And so I found this brief statement uh, in studying for this and just found it to be so helpful uh, in trying to understand what it means for men and women to be created in the image of God. just wanted to share it with you guys. So this statement, it says, created in the image of God, men and women are absolutely equal in essence, dignity, and value, but are distinct by divine design. I'm going to read that again. Created in the image of God, men and women are absolutely equal in essence, dignity, and value, but are distinct by divine design. Men and women are equal, distinct, and complementary. Google that real quick and just wait for the barrage of, you know, disagreements that come to the search engine. But again, we're not subject to the court of public opinion. We're subject to the authority of the creator, right? And so God creating us male and female, both in his image, leaves, it leaves no room to elevate one over the other. Male and female, he created them. Equal, distinct, complementary, together bearing this image of God. So one last thought before we wrap up this morning. Um, we place in this church and in churches around the globe, we place a very high value on marriage and family that is rooted and based on what we find in Scripture. And that's a good thing, and that's a right thing. But being married and having a family does not add to or take away from your value and design as a man and a woman. Like, you are made in the image of God regardless of those things. So if you get married and if you have a family, those are in addition to the way that God has created you in his image. But they are not the essence of who you are. And so I just wanted to encourage single folks this morning and younger folks who may be on the path uh, to marriage and family and, and may be not, but are, are either in manhood and womanhood or, or on the path to those things. And so, so while husband and wife and father and mother will absolutely be themes that we walk through in this series, we just want to be clear that for single men and women, you fully bear God's image and you can fully walk in his design for you right now. Younger folk, you have the opportunity to start doing this early in your life, to take the lessons and the things that you hear from the weeks that follow. Don't think just because you're young, these don't apply to you. 
you can start practicing and walking in what it means to be a man and a woman now. And God will grow you through that into your journey into adulthood. And so with all that in mind, that God is the author and he has the authority, and that as created beings we are subject to his authority, but in that we can trust that he is good and to remember that we are made in his image. We come to this topic of manhood and womanhood. And like every other area of our lives, when God says, I've designed it to work this way, we're going to have choices to make along this journey. Are we going to submit to his authority and what he's showing us and, and line, him, line ourselves up with how he's created things to be? Or are we going to say, I hear you, I'm going this way instead. There's a way that seems right to man, but in the end it leads to death. And so when God says, this is my good and my beautiful design for you as a man and for you as a woman, do we trust that he is good in this? And as image bearers, do our lives reflect this? And so the hope and the heart of this series is that as men and women, created in the image of God, redeemed by the cross, that we would begin to walk more fully in God's design for us, for our good, for the good of others, and for the glory of God. Amen? So that's where we're headed in the next few weeks and just so excited to take this journey together with you guys. Uh, let's pray and ask him to help us along the way. Father, we thank you that you are good, Lord, that there are so many reasons in Scripture, in our lives, in this world, in your creation, that we see that you are good. The heavens declare your goodness and your glory, Father. If we ever forget, all we gotta do is look up, God. Lord, I thank you that even when we go through hard things in life, even when uh, things that you say are true and right, great against us, and maybe we don't want to quite believe them at first, and maybe it's hard for us to get there and we need to wrestle with you a bit, but even in the wrestling, even in the journey, we can trust that you are good and you have designed things in a way that is for our good and for your glory, God. And so we do lift up these coming uh, weeks to you and we ask that you would put our hearts in a uh, position of, of submission and humility, God, and that we would... Um, just seek to be men and women more grounded in how you designed us to be, Lord, and that we would be able to, with our words and, and with our lives, show your goodness to a world who needs to see it so much, God. We thank you for this. We bless you. It's for your beautiful name we pray. Amen.